Hey friends, so we're bringing you a special episode which actually took place at the Georgia Organics Conference this year in Athens. And it's an annual event that takes place in a different city throughout Georgia where farmers and members of Georgia Organics and partners of the organization and many others meet for hands-on sessions and learning opportunities and it's all centered around the good food movement. So we stopped by to chat with a few attendees and listen to what this conference has meant to them this year, the past decade, or even longer. And I met this guy, he sat beside me, and he had a farm that was up right in Milton by where we were at. His name was Philip Busman, and then I didn't see him for another couple years until he showed up on our farm with our uh, ag agent. Um, extension agent Josh Butter and Philip showed up and was like oh man I haven't seen you since that conference and he was like right beside us anyway so then we started connecting and now we like work together with like Banner Greenhouse Orders and I go see his farm all the time and it was just really cool and that was yeah it's a continued connection. So for us it's, it's networking it's a part like it's playing our part in the circle of that good food movement and you know our, our business neighbors feed and seed is kind of going to be kind of a hub for the small farmer for the local farmer that so they can get the access to the resources they need to continue to produce this high quality food locally exhibitors that are set up getting to know them and seeing how you can make connections and all work together it's just been so groundbreaking for us to be able to maintain our brand and our um, just our movement within a value-added product it means a lot to be able to keep those connections going um, so it's really powerful and, and really important, I think now more so than ever, to be connected to this sort of stuff. Um, and really exciting. Yeah, it's just really exciting food movement to be a part of. I think almost every conference I go to, I make a new connection. So it's either a new um, producer for livestock or cattle or somebody, or it's just talking to uh, Abby from Gangsters to Growers, and she's got this great hot sauce inner city recidivism program that we met two years ago. Uh, John Jackson with Comfort Farms, I think I met him four years ago, and then it's almost like a reunion when you come back to conference because you like see people again and you, and you remember like when you connected like six years ago or eight years ago, whatever it might have been. I was a low-paid farmer who snuck into this conference because I couldn't afford to be here and I really wanted to learn more about farming and I love farming. And five years later, I'm here as a speaker and um, feel very much like I am with my people and in my community and um, I'm so proud to be involved in this community and, and be a part of this very passionate group of people who are doing the absolute best they can for everybody in the state. Of the impact of conference is very personal. The very first conference I went to, 2006, Janice Ray was the keynote speaker. And I'm not exaggerating or hyperbolizing, her speech changed my life. Her call to action to be an activist for the earth, for local economy, for good food, changed the course of my life. So the work of Georgia Organics touches all corners of our great state through multiple programs, and one of them in particular is Farm to School. And this program started back in 2007, and the work has continued to impact over 50% of the school districts throughout the state of Georgia. So here's Erin. She actually started and ran the program for many years for Georgia Organics. 
Sure. Well, like I said, when we started, we were really working from like a pilot program um, where we were teaching schools and teaching classes. And it's where we've moved and what we found was much more effective was creating opportunities for school leaders to share how they're um, incorporating food education, taste testing, um, highlighting school meals that feature fresh local food from farmers and letting them be the experts and the champions. And what we found is that there's just a lot more traction uh, when you're shining the light on community leaders. Uh, they, their ideas are incredible. They get very competitive district to district. So it's a really fun way for them to, you know, grow a program throughout the state. So I think where, where it's different now is George Organics really provides the infrastructure and the ability to spotlight these great programs and, and that's how it's grown. So we started working with school districts, introducing them to local farms. And one of our early on success um, moments was when Atlanta schools offered local apples as part of the school meal program. Uh, fresh Georgia apples in the fall. They were crisp, they were amazing. Uh, kids loved them. And we quickly realized like this, you know, we can celebrate these successes even though they're small steps. Um, and anyway, it was, that was the beginning of working more at the district level. And so we started just trying to figure out other small steps that school districts could take and just highlighting one fruit or vegetable every month as a way to connect kids to local food, connect them to local farmers, and get them tasting it on a regular basis. So that was really the beginning of our work working with districts. And that brings us to lunch, but not just any lunch. It was lunch with Alice Waters and Matthew Rayford, and they allowed us to take part in a meal that was made up from produce and ingredients from Georgia Farms, where we all actually had to work together to gather all materials. So we're talking plates, cups, the drinks, prepared dishes, utensils, and everything. And all of this was modeled after what is completely possible and incredibly affordable in a modern school lunchroom. And let me tell you, it was absolutely delicious. So immediately following, we had a chance to sit down with Alice Waters herself and hear more from her perspective on food, our education system, and the impact of a program that she started over 25 years ago called the Edible Schoolyard. So ladies and gentlemen, here she is, Miss Alice Waters. Tell me first, Miss Alice Waters, what is your first food memory? Ooh. I know what my most impressive one was, but the one, I guess it's eating corner tomatoes in the summer in New Jersey when I was a really little kid. Hmm. And uh, my father go out and pick it out of their victory garden. Hmm. And we'd throw it into the pot of boiling water. <laughs> and then we'd just eat it outside in the summer with butter on it. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds wonderful. And it was. Yeah. And I was going to say, I know that you grew up over on the East Coast. And you made your way all the way over to the West Coast. 
So I was going to say, so the, I mean, this is a little bit, you know, just a uh, relatively closer to, to where life started for you. Um, do you make it back to the South very often though? <laughs> I don't make it even back to New Jersey very often. <laughs> it used to be called the Garden State right, right. when I grew up. Uh, <laughs> alas, I, <laughs> I, say, I wonder what it's referred to as now. Uh, um, but um, but Miss Alice Waters, it is such a pleasure to have you on the Atlanta Foodcast. Welcome. Well, it's, thank you. Yes, and welcome to Athens. We are not in Atlanta today. We're actually in Athens as part of the Georgia Organics Conference uh, here in 2020. Um, and the first thing that I want to talk to you about, which was so cool, was lunch. Lunch was, um, I, I was not really expecting, I knew that a lot of it was going to be around, this was all sourced from specific farms around the region, around the area, um, but the interactive side of it was not at all what I was <laughs> expecting. So give me a little bit of an idea of you know what, what we just experienced and how that's part of what we're going to get into, which is Edible Schoolyard. Well, I wanted to present a school lunch um, that is the kind that I envision for the public school system. I wanted to dispel the myth, one, that there's no time for kids to sit at a table to eat lunch, that it's impossible to serve a wholesome food, Kids don't like that, don't want to eat it. I wanted to show that, that for a great number of people eating together, it could be a civilized, nutritious, delicious experience, both in terms of the food and the aesthetics. It's very important to me that beauty piece. Mm -hmm. So we made a map, a placemat, mm -hmm. for uh, the lunch. Mm -hmm. And it was the state of Georgia. And it had beautifully illustrated fruits and vegetables that are grown in Georgia at this time of the year. And uh, you could see where Athens was and Atlanta and a list of the farmers who participated. And I've wanted people to really feel like they were in time and place, that this is February mm -hmm. in the South and this is what we could eat for a school lunch. Mm -hmm. You know, and looking at the plate after everything had been, you know, we had procured all of the items and I love that it was, you know, distribute the silverware and the napkins and the <laughs> plates and, you know, someone needs to pour the tea in the water. It's like everybody gets a job, which is so important. Well, I believe that that's always the way to make dinner happen quickly at home mm -hmm. is you set the table and, you know, I'll, I'll cook this, and mm -hmm. you pour that, and, mm -hmm. and you get it done so quickly. But it's always been, you know, we have this idea that, that who is ever in the kitchen has to do it all his or herself. And when, in fact, that participation is what makes it so easy to prepare and to... to eat together in a civilized way. Yeah. It's, it's great though. You know, I mean, I, I think, you know, knowing my own kids, you know, watching them prepare 
a meal or, you know, being with me in the kitchen and baking. And like, there's a lot of pride when they feel like they have a sense of accomplishment and they've done their own job. And, um, you know, the, the thing that's amazing though, is, you know, looking down at that mat and, and even down looking at the plate and, you know, the, the first thought that really came to my mind is, you know, my kids would eat this for sure. <laughs> Big time. They really would. And I, you know, not even in a sense of trying to say that with pandering, it's like, this is food that I would want to cook in my own kitchen for my kids to eat. And the fact that it could be served in a school lunchroom and not in some, major setting outside of normal life is it gives it a lot of tangibility well it's incredibly affordable when you eat in season and you're eating the foods that that have traditionally been the main diet of a particular region so we're talking about nutrition uh, and availability I have found uh, that these sort of what people have called peasant foods around the world are the most nutritious and are actually really liked by children. <laughs> can, can you imagine the craze for hummus? Mm -hmm. Can you imagine the craze for greens? Uh, the kale. And, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, what is this? I mean, mm -hmm. I, who taught him how to eat this? Yeah. It's just a matter of learning how to cook it, mm -hmm. you know, with garlic and with oil, olive oil. And I mean, you can really make delicious food very, very affordably. I never want to use the word cheap hmm. ever. Because cheap means you're not paying the farmers the real cost of food. And I treasure them so much that I want to pay them. And I want to be able to um, make a meal for a family that's really nutritious and, um, and uh, very affordable. It's affordable, particularly when you're using that the the leftovers of the chicken to make a stock, so you can have your minestrone soup the next day, or whether you're, you know, having leftover shell beans and you're using them to mm. the inside to make a little taco, or, mm. you know, you. We have lost all of those skills to cook simply, and um, I hope that this whole focus on school lunch can teach our children. Mm -hmm. And you know, you you touch on something that's so um, it's so important to me. You know, because I I grew up in the kitchen and letting my kids grow up in our kitchen and really cooking with them and you know understanding how things work together and why they like certain flavors and maybe not others. And you know, there there's a there's a really strange disconnect with food. You know, where 
the North American diet is its own, uh, you know, beast to be slain. But the, the other thing is also like being here in the South, you know, we have a very odd stereotype that a lot of people don't associate with what is actually grown, what is actually harvested, what is actually available Mm -hmm. that I have come to know through so many wonderful people. I mean, like Matthew Rayford or so many other chefs that I've had the pleasure of hearing their stories that we live in an incredibly verdant state with amazing agriculture and, um, you know, and the, and the work of, you know, edible schoolyard, like across the country and then the work of George organics with farm to school. Um, you know, one of the, the biggest stats that I learned relatively recently was that over 50% of the 181, um, or 180 school districts that we have here in Georgia have this program in place now and that there's, you know, there's availability and, you know, field trips of students going to farms and learning about where food is produced. But, you know, I, I wonder, you know, what did you have the hope of, you know, when this, when this program started, when edible schoolyard started over 20 years ago to get 25, yeah, 25 years ago, um, you know, getting, getting students to not only just be educated and learn about how food is grown and why the importance of, of that is part of life, but also in how to prepare food. Well, it began not as a cooking or gardening class. That's not what it is. It happens to use a garden and a kitchen to teach academic subjects. So we have the garden for science and math, and sometimes it's for art. You know, they're doing drawing at the garden. And the kitchen class might be for language or learning history. And, and when you're learning the history of a culture, you're preparing the food of that culture. And that's how the cafeteria could really help to reinforce all of those ideas by connecting it to what's happening in the classroom and then amplifying it. You actually get to really eat it and digest those ideas. So they become kind of part of you. Uh, I was a Montessori teacher. So I really believed in the learning by doing pedagogy. But she said something really, really important, and I've used it for thinking about the edible schoolyard, is that our senses are pathways into our minds. And she worked with, uh, with uh, school children that in Naples and in India that she said were sensorily deprived. In other words, they, they, they couldn't really taste and see and smell and hear. And they were almost imprisoned in that environment. And I really believe that our children in this country are sensorily deprived. Not, I mean, many because of hunger and poverty, but all of them because of this fast food indoctrination. And they are not touching and eating in this way. They aren't seeing the beauty of nature and the world around them. They're on their cell phones. They're, even you know, watching television while they're eating. And I don't know, it's, it's very serious 
this kind of deprivation. So edible education in the schools sort of fits like a glove to um, Maria Montessori's pedagogy. And I think in a way that's why it has so much traction, that it, it, it really is based on, on all of her fact-finding back a when. And she was, she was the first woman doctor in Italy. And her picture was on the thousand lira note. <laughs> and she has a kind of following around the world, which um, is very um, important to me. And I, I kind of have an idea for high school which has not yet been explored because she felt like students shouldn't be in their seats in high school. They are growing too much. They are changing physically, sort of in the way the kids do from zero, from zero to three. And they need to be out in nature. They need to be with mentors. And I thought, what a great idea if the students ran the whole cafeteria as part of their academic studies, that they did the outreach to the farmers, they did the business part of it, calculating how much food to buy. Maybe the psychology of it could be interviewing fellow students for different jobs that would happen uh, in the kitchen or in the dining room. Even an art class could design the cafeteria. And I, I just have never had an opportunity to try that yet. We've been working for these years with the middle school. And most of the outreach that we find around the world, we have a network of 7,000 schools that either have a garden or a kitchen classroom or a school lunch program um, or a curriculum that involves um, ecology, and sustainability, building community. Yeah, you know, and it's—I mean—it's amazing, you know, to, to think of twenty-five years that have gone by, and then you know, um, you know, with with such you know reverence. I mean, like it's such a milestone, you know. And then with with. Uh, Georgia Organics, like farm to school, like, you know, it started back in like 2007, you know, so having 13 years, you know, what, what have you witnessed that's been like the, you know, the like macro impact on people who have been a part of, you know, this type of education um, or even in the, in the individual impact? Well, I always say that it's kind of six weeks to kale. <laughs> and, <laughs> but, but really, seriously. I feel like all of these kids who've had three years at the Edible Schoolyard in Berkeley, that they will forever be mindful of the environment and will be able to feed themselves, nourish themselves really well. I, I haven't done a survey of all those thousands of kids over the year because there are a thousand kids that speak 22 different languages at home that are in this middle school. And it's a public school. Um, 
and there have been, you know, interns and teachers from all over. Uh, but I, I just have met enough kids over these years, sat in enough classes, know how empowered they feel. And uh, one time I was a judge, they did an iron chest, and they um, have three tables that they work at, and they had their um, organic food sitting in the middle of the table, you know, maybe an egg, a baguette, some vegetables, and they could use any spices that they wanted to make the food, and they worked together. But they weren't just judged on what it tastes like and what it looks like. They were judged on how well they worked together, how well they cleaned up, how original it was. And I sat in on one of those conversations um, because I was a judge. And it's, I felt like it was in the kitchen at Chez Panisse. They were saying, you know, we should have done the peppers differently. They lost their color when we cooked them. We could have done them raw in a salad instead of putting them in the oven. And, and one of the other kids said, what a great idea. Next time we should do that. <laughs> and I thought, what? <laughs> What's happened here? And it, it's very gratifying to see how quickly they engage and how it changes their social patterns and how civilized it is in the room when there are 35 kids in a, not a big room, but they're all going about their work. You know, they're chopping and they have to watch while they're, what they're doing when they're chopping with sharp knives. And they're so careful. They're so careful. No, yeah. it's amazing. Um, you know, if, if someone was hearing this for the first time, like they didn't know that Edible Schoolyard existed or that, you know, the side of education for something like Farm to School existed, you know, and what, what, what do you think is our biggest job in like perpetuating, you know, this not only style of education, but really like what it instills for young people, especially in these, you know, very crucial developmental years of their life? It's very difficult to get into the school system because I really believe that the schools have been industrialized like our farms. It's kind of one size fits all that they're all trying to get everybody to make more money, to figure out how to get a big job. And it, it's, it's ignoring the, the creativity of every child. Every child has the potential to really um, develop his or her own passions and interests and we have to I mean to make that intervention in the schools is really most likely to happen if it could come through an experience of a school lunch because that can bring them together in a very different way 
if they're asked to sit at the table. And I'm hoping that we can figure out ways to honor the people who teach us and feed us. So we're talking about a very big event of a terra madre, a slow food terra madre in California at the end of September in 21. And I hope you'll all come from Georgia. Um, but we want to do a terra madre of the Americas and bring people up from Brazil and Mexico and down from Canada. And we want a table, maybe it's a mile long, maybe it's 10 miles long, where we feed the farmers and the teachers. And we bring all the chefs. I think I could probably call them in on the 50th birthday of Chez Panis. <laughs> They'll be obliged to come. But we want to bring them there and have them cook for those very precious people in our lives. And we, um, I think we're ready to do that. We psychologically need our schools to be community centers instead of having barbed wire fences around them, you know, and checkpoints to get in because we're worried about safety. We need to be part of the schools. And I've always thought we could have a little auxiliary sort of people, group of people, maybe older people who would like to come in and shell beans and have lunch with the kids. And we built a cafeteria at Martin Luther King Jr. Middle School, which is where we've been working. We built a, a, a cafeteria that had actually space to bring in maybe 15 or 20 helpers because they could really be important for the preparation of the food and then they could even sit with the kids or have, have a meal at a table like this. Mm -hmm. This was such a pleasure. I, it's, it's seriously, it's, it's so illuminating to have sat through the, not only the lunch itself, it was absolutely delicious. That peanut hummus is still something that I would love to recreate in Me my too. own kitchen. <laughs> Phenomenal. Um, especially on the radicchio. It's really, really good. But, um, but the activity as well. I mean, again, like that's, that's a memory that I'm always going to have. And, um, so I, um, Thank you for sharing. Thank you for being here. Thank you for coming to Georgia. Um, hopefully we can send you home with some peanuts as well. But, um, but Alice Waters, thank you for being on the show. It's such a pleasure having you. Yeah, it's a great pleasure to be here in Georgia. Many thanks to everyone who came out to the Georgia Organics Conference this year. And a huge and special thanks to Alice Waters and Matthew Rafer for all of their work and their words and especially the meal. And if you'd like to learn a little bit more about the Edible Schoolyard Project, you can actually head over to edibleschoolyard.org. And also, if you would like to learn a little bit more and get involved with Georgia Organics, head to georgiaorganics.org to learn about all of the great programs serving farmers throughout Georgia and the good food movement for all. <laughs>